Hey everybody, this is Byron. Really happy to have you guys listen to this episode. Really proud of it. Interesting thing is it was recorded before the world changed, before coronavirus sent us all home, before the protests in the streets, uh, in the aftermath of the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and um, George Floyd. So uh, as you listen to this, um, put all of that stuff in context, and, and also it just gave us a really deep appreciation for just how timely this information and this conversation really was. So hope you enjoy it. And again, as always, y'all stay dope. This is Byron Sanders, president and CEO of Big Thought. And this is Damani Daniel, chief imaginator at The Event Nerd. Well, welcome to Casually Creative, conversations about everyday creativity and nerdiness. Casually creative, everybody. I am your host, one of the dynamic duo mm, that we have story. here. It's a true story. Just one half. Just one half. Byron Sanders, um, president and CEO, Big Thought, and then I've got. Uh, well, I've got. <laughs> we've got me. That's yes. me. Uh, Damani Daniel, chief imaginator at the Event Nerd. Super happy to be back behind the mic with Byronius Sanders Cycle again. Back on the ones and twos, and we have a very special guest with us here today. It's a true story. Doctor. Reverend Good, good Doctor. Good, good Reverend Doctor. Good, right Reverend Esquire. Um I made up some of those, but Especially he is the indeed. Reverend one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Michael Sorrell, president of Paul Quinn College. Welcome today, sir. Welcome to be with Sorrell. you, brothers. Man, um it is is an absolute pleasure. Today so um, this is this is kind of a uh, a moment for me because the gentleman that we have I'll tell you I'll get to his bio in just a second but also point of personal privilege he's a mentor of mine and has helped me navigate my way mm-hmm. um, and it, it and, and his advice has actually been uh, for some of the most seminal decisions along my professional career I remember talking to this guy outside because I don't know how to actually just sit <laughs> and think I pace. And so I'll start a conversation with him, maybe pulling up to the drive through uh, or sorry, the driveway in the car. And then I'll get, I'll end up like either in my basement or mm-hmm. in an attic or maybe very close to the mailbox. And I don't know how I got there. <laughs> That's how that's how that's how deep these conversations get because my so brain is working. I want to ask Dr. Sorrell when when he's pacing. Yeah, are you pacing as well? Or are you just sitting in a chair to chill? No, I'm actually almost ninety five percent of the time sitting in my car where I've parked somewhere, and you know, in there just there's gestures, just there's hand gesturing gestures. everywhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. like you know, a very pensive. Like I want you to think about this. That's mm. it. Mm. And do you feel the the I do. I I actually feel him gesturing with his forefinger. If you guys can't see, it's it's a thumb and a forefinger clasp. Like they're almost like they're holding a pencil. Right. And that pencil is a part of your purpose. It's a super small pencil. 
I mean, that's because it's, it's like because pencil lead. Yeah, like one of those mechanical pencils. But I'm gonna tell you. No, I'm serious about my mentoring. <laughs> <laughs> Come through. But I'm gonna tell you, uh, I have genuinely appreciated every uh, salient thought and moment that you have helped me parse through. You know, some of the most important decisions in my life. No, man. Listen, I, I am an unapologetic fan of you your work, your family, and the way that you lead and live and love out loud. Yeah. And you know, I just, it's cool in life to get people that you vibe with that you know genuinely care about the right things. Mm-hmm. So it's just, man, it's just a pleasure to be a small part on your journey. Interview over. That's all, folks. That's all we needed. That's all I needed. That's all you. That's the interview. That's, that, that, that's the podcast. That's right it. There. Byron's just gonna put that on repeat as he wakes up. <laughs> His Alexa's gonna just repeat that to him over and over. That's right. That's right. Actually, we were just talking about leaving uh, voicemail recordings and and being able to use this technology that we're having because we really genuinely love the way that all three of our voices sound right now. I mean, I would argue that one of us loves the way their voice sounds more than the other two, but that's. So that's um, that's not wrong. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you're not wrong about that. I'm not going to fight you on, on this. You thought about it for a second. Though. I did. But here's the thing that, that I think everybody uh, is excited to hear <clears> because um, Dr. Michael Sorrell, if anybody is following um, where we should be p- pushing higher education in this country, then you have probably heard from or at least heard about Dr. Michael Sorrell. Um, and in, in this conversation on th- in this podcast what we're always talking about is where does creativity come up and where does it show up uh, where does it come from and where does it show up in uh, a wide range of people's lives from the mother who's trying to make ends meet and has to come up with creative ways in order for that to happen all the way to um, you know someone who has come up with a brand new invention or maybe president and CEO of a large technology company right and everywhere in between mm-hmm. creativity is one of those um, define characteristics of humanity and too often people box it in and they're like oh there's a creative class Uh, and what we are seeking to do is kind of divest ourselves from that thought and really understand that we all have elements of this Um, and we need to highlight it and you do so sir in very unique ways and I want to we always send out a a pre-survey and you responded, and I want to I want to actually uh, start this conversation off with an argument. Uh, you said on a, on a scale of one to five, how weird are you? You gave yourself a two. Yeah. I wanted to tell you that that five means really weird. One is super average. Um, I'm gonna disagree with your with your ranking. Coming out hot. Um, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna push you a little further up, a strong four point seven. Ooh. Yeah, and Ooh. the reason why is because of how you look at and assess situations, scenarios, and problems. Your truth is your truth. I understand that. But also, I get to make up stories, too. <laughs> and so I got you at a so 4.7. what you're saying is your truth is your truth, but yeah. it's wrong. Yes, yes. Well, well so here's the thing right. you need to understand. I just rejected your scale. Ooh. All right, so oh, I see what he did. I, I, He's getting more creative. I mean, I, yeah, I, well done. I well didn't done. see myself Jeff. as weird because it's my normal. Uh-huh. Right, so I tend to look at the world and ask myself, why aren't more people thinking differently? Mm. So, frankly, I would have put a zero, but I just was trying to play along. So that's called verbal jujitsu. <laughs> and, and, and in that sparring match, yeah, Sorel won. That's right. Sanders zero. Finish him. I get that. I can understand that. 
but but before we get into the work work part of what you do, yeah. I think we want to put some of this in context. So why don't you just kick us off? Tell us a little bit about your story. You know, because uh, you ain't from here originally, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm right? From Chicago, right? Because we're sitting in Dallas, Texas, on the campus of Paul Quinn College, and that is very different from Chicago. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Sure, sure. So I um I grew up in a family where my parents owned a very successful barbecue restaurant. Um, And, you know, what's interesting is you never really appreciate your story until you are in places that might appreciate your story. That's right, yeah. So I lived my entire life thinking that there was nothing unusual about the fact that my father never went to college. Mm. Right, like I never remember talking about it much, Mm. just, you know, because it didn't mean anything. It was just part of our story and you know, so it wasn't unusual to me. Um, my mother grew up in New Orleans. Well, no, my father grew up in New Orleans. My mother grew up in a rural town in northern Louisiana called Waterproof. Okay. And, you know, you know, Waterproof is in Tensile Parish, which is the smallest parish in Louisiana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's between a levee and a highway. So, you know, it was and not. And they named themselves Waterproof. waterproof. <laughs> they named them Waterproof because everybody else would flood, but the levee was holding it down. That's uh, it. That's dope. it. So it's like bragging. Yeah. Uh, no, they were trash talking. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're straight like, trash talking. Oh, like, you're Floodyville. <laughs> <laughs> you are submerged town. You're soaky McSoak pants. <laughs> and but, I'm uh, Waterproof. <laughs> waterproof. All right. Big W on their chest. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> got, a, got a Jesus piece. No Jesus. Just a just, W. Just W. Yeah. Yeah. But they, um, my mother grew up, you know, in a family that, you know, was living in rural poverty. Um, my father grew up a single parent home in New Orleans. And my dad, you know, had some hustle to him, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, fully what that means, <laughs> yeah. I'm not entirely sure, because he passed <laughs> before when I was a senior yeah. in college, where I could really dissect it. Right, um, but details. I will, I will details. tell you this, he explained the hell out of the numbers, right? Yeah. And I was just <laughs> You're like, uh, like, Dad, you seem to know an awful lot about how that system works. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what's going on? Why is that? I don't know. Right, uh, narrowed eyes. Right, like, kind of you know, looking to the side. Did, yeah. did, did people write down? No, you never wrote it down, son. You had to commit it to memory. Oh, we're going deep, right, in the analysis. <laughs> he's, he's hipping you to the game. He's hipping me to the game. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I just left it alone at that point. Right. right. But um, they built this incredibly successful restaurant on some very basic principles. They served an incredible product to peop- black people on the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, you know, sold pork to black people in South Side Chicago, essentially. And it was a pickup, carry out deal. Yeah. Um, and made more money than I can wrap my mind around. I don't really know the numbers, but I think about what we had and what I would have to have today to match what we had. Mm-hmm. And it, I still can't really wrap my mind around it. And, but my mother was really the dominant personality in the home. Um, Everything that I really, really learned about, um, I would say 90% of what I learned about life, I learned from my mother. My father's advice was very, very simple. He was, you know, things like, hey, you are never going to be from the street. You aren't from the street, but you better know the street and the street better know you. Mm. Right. And to this day, it is one of the things that's helped kept me grounded. So no matter where I am in the city, you know, I will see people. And they might be people that you would not expect me to know yeah. Yeah. or to yeah. be comfortable with. Yeah. 
and I'm good, yeah. right? Because I remember my father telling me that. But my mother and my grandmother poured into me very differently. They were the ones who set expectations of me. You yep. know, they told me, we expect you to lead. We expect you to be a voice for the voiceless. We expect you to deliver upon the promise mm-hmm. of these investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I went to Oberlin College. I went to St. Ignatius, uh, which was really formative for me. It was a, the number one high school in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and just an amazing experience. I mean, I got up at 5.30 every morning to catch a train to go to high school and travel 30, 40 miles to school and loved it. Never yeah. batted an eye. Would never have done anything different from that experience. Went to Oberlin College for college to play basketball. My mother actually forged all my paperwork and mm-hmm. basically bullied me into going to yep, Oberlin. Yeah, I get it. All right. And trash talked me, told me college was too important to be left up to my 17-year-old mind. Uh, you don't uh, know nothing. She said, I was like, oh, yes, mom. Yeah. yeah I was right. hot. Yeah. Um, and then went to uh, graduate school and law school at Duke. I got a master's in public policy and a law degree and then came to Dallas to work. Mm-hmm. I was a firm called Jenkins & Gilcrest, which is no longer in existence, but was a big, successful Dallas firm. And um, began, really picked Dallas because at the time, Dallas had a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And I viewed it as a place where there were plenty of opportunities to affect change. Um, and that, that was uh, really you know, important to me. Um, and did that, practice with Jenkins and Gilchrist for about three years, mm-hmm. then went to work in the Clinton White House. Uh, was there, I was the special assistant for the President's Initiative on Race. Uh, which is a fabulous experience, right? Um, but I was there during the Monica Lewinsky mm. era. What a what a wonderful opportunity to learn about the impact of uh, one's choices and decisions on your legacy and opportunity for then further impact. Yeah, uh, one could say the best lesson mm-hmm. to learn, right? Um, and, and I'll tell you the other lesson it taught me too, though, was the importance of being honest. Mm. Right, even honest and uncomfortable moments where, you know, you may not like the truth, you yeah. may not like what happens next. Yeah. But I promise you, what happens next is better than what happens if you get caught in your lie. Yeah. Oh. Um, and I think people miss that yeah. every time, right. every single time. It's a lesson that my my children are presently <laughs> learning on a regular basis. On a not on a regular basis, thankfully. That's good. Uh, but Bryce is the one who sometimes just needs a refresher. <laughs> And you know, and it was like let, yesterday, I'll be honest with you, it was over the, some of the dumbest things. It's always over the. It's dumbest always over things. the dumbest always. things. So he's 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 in the bath, right? And it's getting time for uh, bedtime. Mm-hmm. And Celeste walks in, and she's like, "Are you clean?" Right? Because sometimes he just sits in the water. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you know, just just creating a bryce soup. Mm. and not actually doing what he should be doing. And he says, yes, immediately. And she's like. It's the immediacy. With, it's the immediacy. It, that's what it, so, <laughs> so she's like, Bryce, do you have any soap? He's like, yes. <laughs> so it's getting slower, right? Little stutter, little hesitant. And now, she's are like, you, "Are you? Is this a recounting of the story, or were you? Are you hearing this in the other room?" No, no, no. I, I could hear all of this happening, and I know where it's heading. Cause I'm like, bro, bro. You, you had you, literally, you weren't in trouble when you, you could have just said no, 
at the beginning. Right. And, yeah. I knew things were getting bad when I heard the stutter on the on the soap. The part. stutter. The yeah. stutter. Yeah. The first immediacy. Yeah. Then the stutter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then there's the voice going up a couple of exactly. Octaves. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, here we go. And then it's so easily proven that you don't have soap. It's true, right? That's, so, that's so, a true statement. so why he would choose to lie about that part? Um, and and now now it's a whole thing mm-hmm. because not only did you lie, but you lied about something that's so silly. so stupid. Yeah. But that's yeah. the gift, yeah. right? Like, because when you would really need to worry, yeah, is that they were good at the lie. That's right. <laughs> right. That's like, right. I, like you know, I watch him, and you know, my son, he'll hit you with the lie. Hands out, Hands. you know, like flailing, just like that. You what know? do you mean? Gesticulating. And I was like, son, you have no hope <laughs> at winning. There's nothing you have in your arsenal right now that's going to permit you to end this match with a W. You're my, not equipped, my, sir. I'm not equipped. My response to, to my son oftentimes is, I am smarter than you. <laughs> like, I, I, I am. Like, this is a verifiable fact. I'm not saying that will always be the case, but right now, in this moment, uh-huh. with you at seven and me at 38, I know more than you. Like, this is, this it's is, true. These are facts. I have more neurons and synapses. Yeah, when I really want to get them, I'll just say, just come here, son. I want you to look at all of these degrees. Yeah. <laughs> look at all of them. Check them out. How many degrees do you have right now? None. So the scorecard. <laughs> Looks pretty bad on your side of the street. It's, this is this is a heavily weighted match <laughs> right now, but that's it, right? Like li- lying, lying about the lying is always the thing that that you know, lying about the bad thing, whatever it was, is the thing that digs a hole. But you know, it's. I mean, I think people never want to disturb their version of themselves, mm-hmm. right? And you know, one of the things that that frankly you know, my family taught me was you aren't always going to be the best version of yourself every day, mm. right? But you can guarantee that the path to being better is a much longer one mm. by the decisions you make. Mm. And, you know, I just, I have tried to keep that in mind. And I haven't always gotten it right, yeah. right? But, you know, you do the best you can do. So, you know, but to finish the story, so, I went to the White House and I came back, worked for um, Tom Luce and Del Williams, mm-hmm. Luce and Williams, which was arguably that and the White House experiences were the best two experiences to have as a young professional okay. um, because they taught me about how you conduct yourself at the highest levels. Yeah. They taught me about decision making. They taught me about relationships. I mean, Luce and Williams was an apprenticeship of power. Mm. All right. I mean, just so many decisions were made about this city, about this region, yeah. were made and influenced in that office. Mm-hmm. You know, And all I had to do was just shut up and pay attention, mm-hmm. right? And I tried to do so, um, but just was extraordinary. Dell and Tom will always be two of the people that I just admire the most. Yeah. Um, then I went to work for a company called Public Strategies and did crisis management work. Then I was an entrepreneur, started my own shop called Victor Credo where we did high-level public affairs work and represented NBA players and college basketball coaches. And it was there, I was, was part of a group that tried to buy the Memphis Grizzlies, mm-hmm. where I would have had a small ownership stake and would have been president of the franchise. So on my way to scout Kevin Durant and got the call from the bishop here, at the, who was the bishop at the time, offered me the job. Right. 
Tried to turn it down. Told them I had no idea what you were going to pay me, <laughs> but they were going to pay me more. <laughs> right? I was on to my Range That's Rover right. lifestyle. That's right. right. I had yeah. a vision. Yeah. Right. And then the Lord intervened. Then the Lord intervened because Lord knows that Kevin Durant didn't turn out to be nothing. <laughs> right. Scrub. I have scrub. no contribution to this conversation. He can't hoop. No, Damani can't hoop. I don't. It, well, yeah, I, like he doesn't. I don't even. Doesn't yeah, matter. I don't talk about it. Yeah. My well, mind. you're in, you're in for a long ride because we're gonna be talking. That's about fine. Basketball I'm today. I'm gonna make. I mean, are you anti basketball? I'm not anti any sport. I just never have gotten into it. Right. So like, I had sisters who my sister played ball. She went to college to play ball. She still loves it. My wife is a huge football family. I married a white girl from West Texas, so football is kind of big down there. It's, it's kind of big. big. Right. Right. It is and. What it is. I have nothing to contribute to any of these conversations. So I'm just like, yeah. So it's like I, I recognize and appreciate the importance of it in American culture. Mm -hmm. I just give no shits about it. <laughs> oh, sports ball. Nice. Sports ball. Oh, it's great. It's, oh, it's, it's, but like I embrace and I don't, sh I don't throw shade at anyone who loves it. Right. Because literally the rest of my family love sports. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, eh. <laughs> Uh, and as does my son. Which See, uh, skip the generation. Yeah. I can't. I can't even imagine what life would be like without <laughs> sports. But that's yeah. real. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, that's kind of. It's it's such an interesting point because knowing what sports has been for you, you were a college athlete, yeah. right? And then you were about to make a pretty significant career decision to go into. A, a, you know, not just kind of into it, but like no, really ownership. Yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, I've represented lottery picks yeah right like i mean it, it's i mean that was like i if left to my own devices yeah i would spend my life in a gym yeah right like i exactly. love it like, i love it that much and we'll get back to that because you are spending a good chunk of your life in the gym now i do um with uh the next generation the next generation uh and that's and that we'll definitely get to that in a second but but you had this big career pivot and you know a God moment, right? That yeah, stops you in moment. your tracks. Yeah. And why did you decide to get off of that pathway and jump onto this one here uh, that led you to this universe? So I didn't, you know, in all candor, I mean, I didn't really start out making that pivot, right? I started out with the 90 day plan. I mean, <laughs> it was, I'll give you all 90 days. Uh -huh. David Stern was evaluating our bid. Mm -hmm. David uh, Stern, commissioner, yeah, former, commissioner. you know, recently passed commissioner of the NBA. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I thought I'll do 90 days, it'll be good. Mm -hmm. And then I'm off to Memphis. So let me ask this real quick about the 90 days, because that's obviously the, the part of the story, the beginning of the story here. My ignorance, what is the expectation that someone is going to be able <clears throat> to do when they come in to an institution that at the time wasn't doing well yeah. uh, in 90 days? Like what the so that's the, this is the irony, right? So I came in as the interim, fully intended to be the interim, like in my mind, mm -hmm. but in my heart I was making permanent moves, mm -hmm. right? So in 90 days we terminated the football program. In 90 days, we instituted a dress code. In 90 days, we began uh, right-sizing the institution. So, you know, I was making all these really difficult yeah. decisions um, and made them because they were just the right things to do is what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what, what you hope is that the person in 90 days does no harm. Mm. You know, I always look at things, I must leave places better than I found them. Mm -hmm. So did I maximize my moment? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, that's what, you know, I was really trying to do. And I remember I went to church. I go to Friendship West, you know, Pastor Freddie Haynes. And, you know, I'm sitting in the pews. And he says, you know, this summer we're preaching about calling. Mm. Like following calling, you know, answering your calling. All that. And I was like, cool. No effect on me. My calling is in Memphis. Yeah, easily. Right? My calling is my brand new Range Rover. <laughs> right? Like I'm on my way. And so, you know, the first Sunday he preaches about it. I'm like, ah, yeah, that's cool. Thank mm. you. All right. Next Sunday I go, and it's, you know, don't run away from your calling. Next one is God has a calling. You know, right. and each Sunday it's getting hotter and hotter yeah. and hotter. And I'm just like. <laughs> about ready to stand up and be like, watch your mouth. Right, 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 right. Stop it. Pastor Haynes, it's <laughs> enough. Right. And, um, you know, what it turns out is, you know, one of my staff members gave me this um, little saying that is up on my shelf. It says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it, it really has given me an opportunity to be a version of myself that I really had only dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Wow. A version of yourself that you had only dreamed of. That's interesting because it kind of goes back to what, uh, you were saying when you said, uh, you know, every day you don't wake up and operate as the best version of yourself. Yeah. And so what I think it, it sounds like you're emphasizing is that, it, that really it's about pathways. It's about it's about trajectory as opposed to destination. Well, it's a journey. Yeah, right? exactly. It's a journey. Like you can have the expectation that you're going to go someplace, mm-hmm. right? You can have the plan that you're going to go someplace. But the reality of it is, it, it's just a, it's just your point of origin, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because what happens next, I mean, when you really stop and think about it, I mean, I, you know, I thought about one of the questions you asked about like, where does creativity come from and what inspires you? The reality of it is, creativity comes from failure, mm. right? It comes from disappointment. You don't have to be creative until you're denied something. Mm. That's good. And you know, I don't think we think about that mm-hmm. those terms, but I mean, I, like I look at it, I am the husband that I am now because I failed at a marriage, right? Mm. I am the college president I am now because early on we failed at being a prototypical institution. Um, I mean, lots of my successes have come from disappointments to where I've had to pick myself up, shake my head, push forward, and look for an alternate solution. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that I have so many things different than what other people have. Yeah, I think that if I do have something that is very different is my inability to stay down, Okay, right? Like I will always get up. Mm. Right, and knock on wood. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. Um, But it is just the obsessive desire to never be knocked out. So let me ask you this. So you talk about uh, you're never going to get knocked. You're never going to stay down. In the path of this journey to where you are now, you had a pretty significant health change. Yeah, I got knocked down. Yeah, so you you had a heart attack. 
No, like, it was a sudden cardiac death. Sudden, okay, which wow. is worse than an attack. I, that sounds. That's, yeah. that's a, yeah. That sounds like a couple of levels above heart attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right. So if you got to pick one, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so so this this sudden cardiac death, you died. You flatlined. I died. Right? I flatlined. Um, and how long? How far along in the journey, Paul Quinn, were you at that point? How many years in were you? Eighteen months. Eighteen months. Okay. Whew. What What's that like? What is that? What happens in that moment when you come out? You're in the hospital, full of tubes, and it sounds like you're like, well, I, I, I read an article that talked about you were like, I'm not done. I've well, got more to do. Well, no, so, you know, <laughs> I call it my Iron Man moment, mm. right? Like, if you've ever seen the first oh, yeah. Iron Man oh, yeah. movie oh, where yeah. you're in the, he's in the cave, yeah, right, yeah. and he wakes up. Um, so, I wake up, and all, like, my loved ones are standing over me, right? So, first of all, let me just say, mm -hmm. That's an indication you had a problem. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's you, there. When you wake up and everyone's looking down on you, yeah, and they're looking at you, sort of like, ah. hey. right? Because you know, my sister was, you know, I love my sister, but she had gone deep into the like he might be brain damaged. Yeah. Like we don't know how long he was without oxygen. He might not get all of his faculties back. I just want to prepare everyone. <laughs> I've drawn up. Wikipedia's <laughs> definition right. of ex all the worst case scenario. Right. Right. But I'm going to be calm. It's cool. It's cool. I printed copies, though. Here no, you are. Nothing to Here. be concerned about. I just want you to be aware. That's right. right. Just kick his toes, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I wake up and they start to explain to me what happened. And so, you know, Natalie is there and says, well, what Natalie's your wife. Your wife. She's, yep. Well, she wasn't my wife then, but, ah. oh. but you know, you saved brothers' lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> You in. You get a promotion. Yeah, right. 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 Um, I would like to offer you a position. In, in, permanent position. In the, in the, in the empire <laughs> for the rest of humanity. Right. Like, I don't, you know, you win, you win all fights. Like, right. There will be no controversy in my home because right. you might be like, that and I'm dead. Okay. You're right. You know, right. I so, get it. So, um, you know, and she's trying to be very, you know, loving and say, you know, well, you, you had a cardiac episode. Oh. And I was like, I had a heart attack? No, 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 your heart is healthy, it's fine, you don't have heart disease, you had a cardiac episode. And I was like, oh. That sounds oh. like it's a sitcom. Okay, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Like, did it get renewed? Right, right. right. like, what season are we in? So, yeah. and she, I, she, I said, well, I said, well, what are you saying? She's like, well, your heart stopped. And I said, so I died. She was like, well, <laughs> such, She's like, well, you had to be resuscitated, so I died, <laughs> right? Such harsh language. And in, so at that point, you know, two things happen. Yeah. One, I unleash almost a, a, a literary um, display of F-bombs <laughs> that people rarely hear, right? I mean, it was every form of just, from the hospital bed. In the bed, with the tube. With, with the, the tube. tube. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I've been alert for yeah. like maybe two minutes. Right. And I'm just, You get your second pass at life and this is how you enter how into you enter this. Into right, right. Like, like into my this mind thing. is blown, okay? <laughs> Apparently at the point of mind blownness, all I can muster are F-bombs, okay? <laughs> Listen, we know what, you know what, you know where you go to, right? Like I, where's your comfort zone? I am authentic, okay? okay there you go. <laughs> and so, and then right after I got done with the F-bombs, the next thing that comes to my mind is, we're gonna win, mm -hmm. right? I was like, we're gonna win. We're gonna win. At Paul Quinn, we're gonna win.
And someone said, well, why is it? Because God doesn't save you to humiliate you, mm. right? And if, if we weren't gonna win, he would not have brought me back because I had a 2% chance of living and regaining all my faculties. Wow. People don't live when they have cardiac deaths outside of the hospital. Wow. Like it just doesn't happen. And I mean, I, you know, there was no reason for me to have it. I didn't have any of the symptoms. I didn't have, I mean, they, like they still don't fully understand why that would have happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I look at it and, like, you know what? If that had been the end of my story, I still would have had a really, really good life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like people could have looked at it and said, you know, you did some cool things. Mm -hmm. But what my life has looked like in the almost 12 years since that time, you know, I mean, that that's the chapter that I think mm. will bear the most fruit. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. That's fantastic, and and to to be able to go through that moment, and then again, that's information, that's data. You mm. have another data point mm -hmm. on a journey in order to piece together this whatever the tomorrow is, right? And I would argue, and I think you would agree as well, you know, that that if you had if you had taken the uh, Grizzlies opportunity or or you know the NBA um, opportunity. I don't think you would have ended up on, you know, the world's 50 greatest leaders list yeah. from Fortune, right? No, no, but I would have had a lot more zeros. You and would have had so many and, more zeros. And commas in my bank account. That's right? right. But then what is a life well lived, right? No, that's true. That's what is true. a life of impact uh, and, and import? And it's something that we talk about all the time, you know, we're all here for a reason. Yeah. And, and, and realistically, I mean, I want for nothing. Like I laugh well, and course. joke about it. Yeah, but of like course. I'm, but it, but also that's an objective reality too. You would have more zeros. I would have more zeros. Straight up. Um, and commas, because zeros commas. without commas. Zeros, <laughs> I mean, you can stack all the zeros on the front end. That doesn't really does, help you. That does nothing for you. That doesn't Especially get you to zeros over periods. Exactly. Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> Give me the commas. <laughs> I, need, I need commas. Yeah, but but to that, to that point though, you know, it would be a different story yeah. altogether. Yeah. So let's get into that story. And what, what, what is so, because for those who might not be familiar with Paul Quinn, this is, this is a strange bird we got here. Oh, it and is. it's a strange bird, um, not like the dodo, but more like uh, a peacock. You know, a, a beautiful, strange bird. Think about the first person who's never seen a peacock before to walk upon one and see this tail flare happening yeah um and you're like wow what is that i think that's the impression that a lot of people get of paul quinn today yeah. um because you came in did some um again weird things on the front end mm -hmm. so you said even i didn't know that it was i, I forgot that it was in the first 90 yeah, days that you the, that the, you the cut football. the football yeah program. i didn't realize it was that quick yeah uh -huh. that i thought was, it was part of some study yeah and some years <laughs> in you're like i think we have come to the conclusion that you was like no we done yeah no no so Boston Consulting Group had done a study of the institution and they had outlined some decisions that needed to be made in order to begin to turn the institution around. Yeah, The president that they handed that report to literally looked at the report, packed his stuff up, rolled in the middle of the night. Right? Like just, I'm out, this can't be done. I don't want to be part of that, right? Wait, I, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> hold on, hold yeah. on. 
President Commission's study. Well, the board commission. Board the commission study. study. Board commission. President study. looks at the study. Did the study say, "Bro, you got to go," or was no, he just looking at it like, "No." Nah, the, stu- the study actually said, "Hey, we think he, a he'd be a good guy, right? Like wow. that, that this guy could do it." Okay. Right? And <laughs> study says, you know, we have eighteen to twenty-four months before you have to close if you don't make significant changes. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, pare down majors. All the things, let me put it this way, all the things that traditional academics would look at and have a really hard time doing Mm. are what were contained in that report. But me not being a traditional academic, me coming from business, me being someone that knew crisis management, that understood how to turn things around, I looked at them and I was just like, yeah, this seems right. Because you had no prior experience in higher ed or education at all, right? I mean, I taught, Bible hangman in Sunday school. <laughs> right? Like that Listen, was, that's next level stuff. That is. It's, it's no shade. It's about reaching your students where they are. Yeah, right? that's right. So, yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I hadn't taken education classes. I, I mean, my sister is the teacher. She's been a teacher in the Chicago Public Schools. The one who, who was years. telling everybody about your foreboding. That's exactly right. Okay. You know, she's also the one who told me when I called her up to tell her that had been asked to take the job. Mm-hmm. She told me I was the black Forrest Gump, right? <laughs> that like stuff just happens for me, right? Just, she's like. I didn't, I didn't know that was because you were really fast or. Right, or, yeah. It was that life is a series of improbable, ac- you know, accomplishments, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was her point. She was just like, I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm the one who went to school. I have master's degrees in this. I have years of experience. And you waltz in and you're gonna be a college president? <laughs> She's like, you know, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Man, bump you, bruh. Right, she's yeah. like, I hate you so much right now. Yeah, that's fair. But, but also, gra- congratulations, not congratulations, just congratulations. Good job, good job, thanks Mike. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, but she wasn't wrong, Yeah. right? I yeah. mean, it, it was, I mean, in a very real sense, it was ridiculous. Like, why would you hand a failing institution to a completely unfamiliar, a person unfamiliar with everything in your industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm very honest about it, right? Like I know I could not possibly have been the first choice. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause, real talk. cause you you would never have, like this is the decision you make when you have no other decision to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and I think that's a, that's a really good point to highlight right now because it, want to contextualize where Paul Quinn was, not just at that moment, but for decades before. It was the school, and I say this with no point of pride, that people who grew up around Dallas would make fun of, would say, oh, you going to Paul Quinn? Like some people had it a step below in their minds, a step below community college. And it was, was, it's it's actually a sad state of where this community uh, not the alumni, because yeah, no. it's deeply uh, passionate, so much pride, yeah. right? Uh, but how the community had treated um, uh, the college in deed and also in thought, yeah. um, and and to the point that you're bringing up, you know, the 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 person who was your predecessor probably looked at that report already recognized the, chi- the the challenges that he was facing, the hill that he had to run up, and then saw this, and he's like, man. Deuces. Mm-hmm. I'll holla. Yeah, I'll holla yeah. at y'all. And you get the call up. No, I do. And, you know, and I just want to say this about 
the way the community treated Paul Quinn. Paul Quinn had his struggles, yeah. absolutely. But I think what it's reflective of is that this is a community that at that point in time in that era had no idea how to grow roses from concrete, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So didn't recognize that there were people here who were thriving under the most absurd and difficult circumstances Amen to that. and had found a way to persevere. And, you know, we, you know, and let's be candid about it, really as black people, mm -hmm. right? We as black people forget where we come from, all right? We don't understand that to even be standing upright in this country means that you were a survivor of slavery. You are a survivor of the Middle Passage. Yeah. In your family, there were people who have persevered through the most difficult and challenging and horrific circumstances. Mm -hmm. And yet, they found a way through it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't tend to believe things we've never seen before, and we don't tend to believe things we've never seen before in places that we never thought capable of producing them. Yeah. So, People were never gonna believe that Paul Quinn could be turned around because they didn't think enough of Paul Quinn and they hadn't seen anything like that. And I get that, right? Like, mm -hmm. I understood that, but I also understood things that I think other people didn't. Number one, you are sitting 10 minutes from downtown Dallas, mm -hmm. right? You own 140 acres of land, free and clear. 140. Wow. 40, right? Now, in all candor, I didn't know at when I took the job exactly what we would be capable of academically and how quickly we could get there. Mm -hmm. um, what I did know, though, was there was a business case to be made that this was an undervalued asset, and I treated it as an undervalued asset. That's right, buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high, yeah. and what you needed to do was get it, get it stabilized economically, mm -hmm. um, and then, Give yourself a chance to affect change. And that's what we did. Now, it doesn't mean it's not hard. I mean, I spent, you know, the first four or five years were hard. Yes. I mean, you know, we lost 80% of our student enrollment in my first two years. Um, we got down, we started school late in the fall of 2019. I mean, I'm sorry, 2009, because we didn't have enough students. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were going around to places. I mean, I remember going to a church one time and just saying, hey, if you can read the Bible, you can come to college, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if you, you don't even have right. to spell Ecclesiastes in That's college, right? right? Although, yeah. although in fairness, I don't know many people with college degrees who can spell Ecclesiastes. That's a very good point. That's a good I point, that's yeah. a good point. I, yeah. So, so as, we, as we go through this journey and we're recognizing that, you know, you're the, you're the, the, the unique um, leader that they had to act like, man, brother, you were so high on our list. Um, you have no idea, at least close to the top. And then they bring you in, you say yes, you make some of these really significant shifts. Uh, and I remember the moment <clears throat> where uh, people started to recognize that something new was happening down here. But I feel like the moment where it really started to get a bit mainstream when you decided to do something really interesting with that asset that you discontinued when you got here. What was that? So we turned the football field into a farm. Yes. And, you know, you, 
you you learn many many different things when you do something outside the box mm-hmm. right one of the things you learn is people don't have a sufficient grasp of history because the number of people who wanted to tell me that they sent their children to college to get out of the fields and we were sending them back to the fields, that we were sending them back to slavery was phenomenal, right? The point I had to make was it's not slavery when you own your own field. Right? Like that's not slavery. Also the, 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 Mm-mm-mm. The acrobatics, the mental acrobatics that are necessary to get from we're building a farm to you putting my child in slavery, like the hurt you had to get there in your mind is sad and impressive. And also, it means that you're discounting everything that happened before slavery. Right. Right. And, That's and we not were, where our story started. Right. And we definitely were agriculturalists in Africa as well. Right. I mean, but that's that's if you don't know your history. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is it's so interesting because a lot of what we've done. So Paul Quinn had a farm back in Waco, huh. but people didn't know that That's right. because they didn't look at the yearbooks. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we were called Quinites in Waco. So people there was a segment of people who got angry because they're like, we're tigers. We're not Quinites. I was like, I hate to break it to you, but you don't have to pick. <laughs> right. Secondly, here's the yearbook from the 1920s which says Quinites. Mm. Like, all we've done is reach back to claim our history and show how proud we are. Wow. And, but there's a scarcity mentality mm-hmm. and scarcity mentality will destroy people because they, they think that they can't have more because they've never seen more. They've never participated mm-hmm. in more. And you know, we got lucky with the farm. I mean, I pull no punches about that. I mean, you know, it was, Fall 2009, it just really was just the most difficult period of time. And I come back from lunch and I, my assistant at the time says, you have a phone call, you have a message from Trammell Crow. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't know Trammell Crow, why would Trammell Crow call me? This must be somebody having playing a joke on me, right? The Crow family here in Dallas, they are one of those names. They're, they they're like a Rockefeller mm-hmm. of, of the Southern uh, part of this country. They are They are one of the most successful real estate families in history. Yeah. Right. And Trammell is the oldest son of Trammell. Trammell S. is the oldest son of Trammell Crow. Right. And he and I go to lunch and we hit it off. And he's fascinating, right? Like That's I- To say the least. That is, a, that is an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I- I mean, it's one of those things. So early on, we realized traditional Dallas wasn't going to financially support us. Mm. They were going to smile. They were going to, that's right. You know, pat us on the back. Say, tell oh, us, that's nice. What you're doing over there. Great, it is what you're doing. God you know, bless you. Bless you. Like you're so brave, right? <laughs> but they they weren't going to do that. So we adopted a contrarian development policy. We, for lack of a better term because I know how much you love football, we became the Oakland Raiders of development. There you go. Like we looked for people who aligned with our contrarian views. Mm. And so, you know, met Trammell, we hit it off at lunch, and a few weeks before I had gone to dinner with Gerald Turner and his wife, my wife and I did, and- Gerald Turner, president President of SMU. SMU, your alma mater. Southern Methodist University, yeah, exactly. And so, well, 
almost all almost month. yeah almost all month but but definitely back in the fan bound yeah yeah, yeah. well you know yeah, success yeah. cures all things it does friend. it really does it's success so cures helpful. all things man so like, helpful you know, let people tell it i'm like an amazing lawyer right <laughs> like so practice law for like three years right? yeah <laughs> like, you know he's a shark like me you guys <laughs> right so i too help contribute to paul Coy. You know, so uh, uh so gerald you know, what I was doing early on in my career was I'd go visit successful college presidents and other colleges, and I would just pick their brain. I mean, I was calling up schools, and people had never heard of us, they'd never heard of me. Right. And I was literally just giving it to them. Like, hey, my name's Michael Sorrell, I'm the president of Paul Coyne College. Oh, don't worry about you haven't heard of us. Listen, I don't <laughs> wanna talk about me, I wanna talk about you. Yeah. You're doing amazing things, and I'd like to come visit and spend the day. No, I'm not asking for your time, just some of your staff's time, mm-hmm. right? And you know, once you're there, you're there. Yeah. yeah. And so, but Gerald was nice enough to let us go to dinner, and you know, and I asked him, I said, can you give me some advice about fundraising? And one of the things he said is, when you're with people of means, ask them for something. Just get people accustomed to the idea that they should support you and your cause. So Trammell was the first time that, you know, I had that yeah. opportunity to test that theory. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what I was working on at that point in time was we were a food desert. We were closer to the city's garbage dump than we were a grocery store. That's right. Wow. Which no community should experience. Wow. Right? It's reprehensible. And, and so I was trying to get a grocery store. We had offered people free land and no one even would take our calls in earnest. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm at lunch with Trammell, and I'm like, well, here's my shot, right? I'm all going Hamilton on Don't it. Don't throw right? it away. Yeah. Yeah. Don't throw away my shot. And so. That one I'll connect with you on. That one, <laughs> all yeah. day. All day. We'll, we, we, yeah, we'll do we that. We were going to find yeah. something. Yeah, we got it. We right. found it. All right. Boom. So we, um, you know, I'm like, listen, the people in our neighborhood, they really need a grocery store. They deserve a grocery store. People should have access to fresh blah, blah, blah. That's right. So Trammell gives me the smoothest sidestep. He's just like, you know what I'm really passionate about? <laughs> I'm really passionate about community gardens. And he starts talking about community gardens. And you know, look, full disclosure, I had never put community and garden together in a <laughs> sentence before in my life, right? But I'm not stupid. I recognize I'm not getting a grocery store. Yeah, so, it. So I was like, you know, I've recently become fascinated by community <laughs> gardens myself. I was I was reading um, National G. Is that what they talk about? Now? National uh, G- NCGM G- National Community Garden Magazine. It's a well-known publication. It's a great. It's a well-known publication. I just renewed my subscription. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually yeah. sometimes a contributor to it. We we appreciate your journalistic efforts. I do what I can. You know. I'm here for the. Pe- I do it for the people. Yeah. <laughs> and also the produce. Also, boom, pow. But they um and, you know, he said, look. Do you have some place where you could put a farm or put a community garden on your campus? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, we can put it on the football field. Like literally, there was no feasibility study. <laughs> there was no plan. <laughs> that was the entirety of the process. Yeah. He said, well, can you do that? I was like, I'm the president. Of course we can do it, right? Of course. So I come back to my staff. I'm like, we're going to have a community garden. <laughs> and, you know, what you say now? <laughs> what you say? Wait, like, like, like on the balcony? <laughs> like just just work with me here. <laughs> like, well, do you know anything about farming? Do you think I know anything about farming? <laughs> I grew up in Plano. Why are you asking me this? Like how? Yeah. So then, um, 
Trammell tells the folks at Pepsi because they had this food for good initiative. Yeah, that's right. And they come down, and we literally are at this table, mm-hmm. right? Because newsflash, all my furniture is the furniture that was here when I got here. <laughs> so the reason why there are holes on these chairs is because they have been used. Hey. Historic, okay. sir. No, this is history that we're this, sitting in right now. This is history we are sitting in yeah. because I refuse to buy new furniture until we finish the new dorm. I did not think it was gonna take 13 years. <laughs> right. So when you come in the fall, I will have some new furniture. Well, I, saw, I, saw the, I saw the building coming up when I was driving in. That it, means we almost have a new recliner. We all we are about a recliner to at the conference yeah. table. Absolutely. No, if you're gonna wait 13 years, <laughs> you getting a recliner with or without the with like, or cup holder, a chandelier that talks it's, to it's, you. It's gonna what, be. What are we even doing right now? We um, you know, we're sitting at the table and literally yet again, yeah. I'm just like, hey, you know what we should do? We should turn the whole football field into a farm. And they were looking at me like. Do you have an agricultural program? It's like, no. You think we need one? <laughs> They're like, well, I mean, we've we've been thinking about uh, considering a feasibility study. <laughs> so. They're like, well, do you have, you know, ask me something else. I'm like, no. And I'm realizing I'm trending in the wrong direction. Right. I get up from here, I go in there, and I call the youngest person on our staff at the time, Elizabeth Watley, who ah, I know yes, you know, right? Absolutely. So Ewat. Yeah. And I call up Ewat, and I was like, hey, didn't you major in economics at Spelman? And she says, I did. I was like, great. You are going to run our new farm. <laughs> She said, we don't have a farm. I was like, we're about to have a farm. She said, I don't know anything about farm. I was like, I don't care about that. Just Google it, right? Just stop bringing me down with your details, okay? Right, so you are a wet blanket, Elizabeth. Right, so, so I come back in here, and I was like, we're good to go. We're good to go. And yeah. that's literally how the farm started. Elizabeth, Google what grows in Dallas. Wow. That is how we started. It is ridiculous. It yeah. never should have worked. And it worked because of righteous rage. Yeah. We thought people deserved better, and we didn't know how we were going to get there, but we knew we were going to get there. So fast forward, what that, that, fir- that, that zany idea, which turned into one of the most powerful stories in higher ed uh, across the country, no, uh, starts going everywhere. Y'all were on ESPN. Yeah. Y'all, were on, y'all were on national networks. We have been covered by more sporting outlets since the farm <laughs> than, than, than we were ever before. Like we have sent more kale to the NFL than we have sent football <laughs> players. Right? But that's good like, like because it, you, the, what comes from the farm actually goes to uh, talk about just what you all do oh, with the yeah. food. Yeah, I mean the the farm. We donate ten percent of whatever we grow. We call that tithing to the community. What does that look like? Um, in terms of like we do you donate you to the community like we donate oh. to the community is it people can come by so weekly or? sometimes people can come by we donate to the north texas food bank which distributes a lot of it mm-hmm. um you know we just we meet the needs where we find them yeah. right um our largest customer the dallas cowboys uh you know there are area stores that cover it, carry our food restaurants carry it i mean here's the thing and you know we joke about football. Um, you know, I recognize how important football was to the people who played football here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in no way to be disrespectful of their legacies or anything like that. What it's about, though, is continuously asking yourself the question, am I being the best steward yeah. of the gifts that I've been given? Yeah. 
and having the courage to look around and say when something doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. I mean, it might have worked at some point, but it doesn't work now. Yeah. And you know, for us, the symbolism of challenging the narrative that the only way out of poverty for black men is because of their bodies. No, yeah. right? That, that's, that's not the only way out of poverty. Mm. It's not even the best way out of poverty. Yeah, it's powerful. The way out of poverty is to cultivate your mind to the point where you're capable of being entrepreneurial in your thoughts and your actions. Yeah. That is what we're trying to teach. Like, so it really wasn't about agriculture as much as it was about entrepreneurship. Which leads me to kind of the, the, the way that I w would love to kind of capstone the story of, of your work here with the college. So that point that you just said, it, you know, it wasn't just about agriculture. You know, people like, oh, y'all going to turn this into a, to a farm? Co no, no, that wasn't what you were doing. Mm -hmm. But what you were doing was getting people to think differently about the place of a higher ed institution and creating pathways for people who typically are not served by this industry, if you will, or this sector, in creating true opportunity, right? Like this is, this is really what we should be talking about across our country, which is actually why you end up on the, you know, 50 greatest leaders in the world list because it elevates to beyond uh, just, you know, programmatically what you're doing yeah. here. Yeah. There's a story, there's a message that's connected to that. So talk a little bit about the evolution of, of just how this, this idea of work and opportunity is showing up today and how you're even pushing that um, frontier even more. By the way, highlighting, which I don't think we've, we've done enough today, Paul Quinn is a historically black college and university. And even there, y'all are unique amongst, um, amongst you know, that, that very specific uh, set of institutions. Uh, your demographics are not typical of what yeah. you would see in a historically yeah. black college and university. Yeah. Talk a little bit about two of those points. Sure. So, you know, listen, we think that institutions of higher education should turn themselves outward and address the needs of the day, mm -hmm. right? address the needs of the communities they serve. And... You can define the community you serve as broadly or as narrowly as you choose, but we think that it is so important to do that because our institutions need us to be more, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I listen to research institutions talk in grandeur about research, right, and their whatever status they are. I think that's fine, mm -hmm. right? I'm not throwing any shade at them whatsoever. However, someone needs to speak to the people directly, mm. right? They need to listen, they need to understand what their pain points are, they need to understand what scares them, what motivates them, and what their dreams are, right? And we have decided to give that form life. Yeah. And so everything that we've done is because we listened to the people we serve, the farm, Food deserts, that was because people told us they wanted a grocery store, mm -hmm. that they didn't think it was right that in one of the wealthiest cities in the country that they lived in a food desert. Yeah. Um, when we fought the city over the expansion of McComas Bluff, the landfill, mm -hmm. that was because the community didn't think it was right that you're going to create a super landfill and never have done a community impact study, mm. right? I mean, how disrespectful can you be? Um, we took on this work issue because our students were struggling to pay for school. 
we were only charging $23,000 a year all in. Mm -hmm. But if people don't have it, they don't have it. Yep. 80 to 85% of our students are on Pell Grant. 70% yeah. of those students have zero expected family contributions. Mm -hmm. They needed us to be something more. Um, you, they were having, our students were having trouble really securing the type of employment and having success there that we would want them to have. Our students were struggling with mental health issues just like every other school in the country. The difference is instead of submerging it, mm -hmm. we hold it up high and we tackle it directly. I mean, now you come to Paul Quinn, every incoming student gets a mental health exam, right? We've normalized that conversation. Wow. Um, we speak to the needs that people have. One of the other needs is the pedagogical methods and, and the value of education. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come to Paul Quinn now, we only charge $16,000 a year for everything, okay? So for less than- So your price actually went down. We cut our price. We originally cut it down to 14500 Never happens. Right. Never. Right. So we, we cut it by almost $10,000. And so if you think about it from this perspective, you pay less than $65,000 for four years of a college education. Mm -hmm. You get a subject matter mastery, which is whatever you choose to major in you get experiential learning mastery because you do four years of the work program because we are the first urban work college in the country. Mm -hmm. Our students work on campus for a year or so, some work more, but then they go to work off campus in our corporate partnerships. They work an average of 15, 16 hours per week. Um, and for that, they earn money. They earn a work scholarship, mm -hmm. they earn spending money. And so just to make it simple, $16,000 a year, we have partners who pay 15000 for the two semesters of the student's time. The student gets a $9,000 scholarship. Mm -hmm. They get $5,000 cash payment. The school gets $1,000 to help with transportation costs. The 9000 cash combined with the 6200 that eighty that's Pell Grant money, that's 80, 85% of our students get, means that 15200 of the $16,000 is covered out of the gate. Wow. So even if you want to borrow money, yeah. $800 a year is all you would need to borrow to be able to finance your education. $3,200 of borrowing, less than $5,000 will get you a four-year degree. And the part that I didn't add was that the third piece of this educational experience, yeah. starting next year, students will get one to two digital certificates and credentials um, each year. Right. So they're going to graduate with four to eight digital certificates wow. that they can access and use as well. So we have poverty-proofed education because even if you're with us a year, you get one to two credentials that will help you stay out of poverty. Mm. Okay, so, wow. That is, uh, arguably, you talked about creativity being born out of uh, out of failure and out of not having access to things. Where where does that idea, something like that, come from? Because this, to me, is a very clear example of creativity that's not falling into the category of um, what people typically think of with the, the artsy stuff. This is a creative solution to a challenge that had plagued a community for yeah. generations. Where did that idea come from? How did that come from? Either your brain, the brains of a collective group of people. Walk through that process of sure, where, you, sure. where we got to there. I mean... Let me say this, one of the greatest disservices we do people is we have couched creativity only in fine arts terms. Yes. Right? I spent my entire yep. life not thinking I was creative because I couldn't draw. Bro, you preaching. Man. Or I couldn't sing. Man. Right, I mean. Fire. Did that's I, exactly, that, that's, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and so, um, but what happened was 
we were struggling to recruit the kind of students we wanted, right? We had suffered too much reputational damage in this marketplace. And so, you know, I was at a Chamber of Commerce meeting one day and they're talking about how, you know, Dallas Chamber talks about how they recruit businesses from other cities. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there listening to it and I was like, why wouldn't that work recruiting students? Mm. And I thought about how I got to Dallas. I got to Dallas because the Dallas law firms formed a coalition and went out to top law schools to convince minority law students to come live in, because I wasn't coming to Dallas. I hadn't even thought about Dallas. It wasn't on the record. I was gonna live somewhere between DC and Atlanta Mm -hmm. and settle in, be a big city mayor, be a United States Senator, and then just get rich, right? Like that, that was my plan. Um, And so, you know, you, you look at it, I'm like, okay, where is a city that's struggling the way we struggle? Yeah. Detroit. Mm-hmm. It was like Detroit was about as far down as you could go. And they <laughs> yeah. were they were using urban agriculture, yeah. ironically, to try and reposition themselves. That's true. So I start wooing the Detroit public school system. And it just, at that point in time, it was just, it wasn't gonna work with them, right? So I'm in Detroit on one of my trips there and I'm frustrated and I call my office and just find me a Catholic school, right? Like I went to Catholic schools from fifth through 12th grade. I understand how to manage Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. They said, here, you have a meeting with Detroit Cristo Rey. I go to Detroit Cristo uh, Rey, which Christo is an Rey. urban work high school. That's right. And the president there, Mike Corey, walks me through the model. And I'm looking at him, I was like, why wouldn't this work in higher education? He said, well, it would, it does, because they're work colleges. I was like, yes, but those are all in rural locations. Why wouldn't this model work with an urban twist? Yeah. He said, no one's tried it, which was mm. music in my ears. I was like, we can get to the marketplace first, right? Because when you're down, you're looking for reasons to get people a different vision of yourself, yeah. right? And so we come up with the plan, the board approves it, and we start implementing it. And, you know, we figure out that, well, and then I went back to school to get my doctorate and use the dissertation process as sort of the business plan for the model. So exactly. I wrote my dissertation on this um, and discovered that the reason work colleges struggled to really take hold was people couldn't figure out how to make the work relevant. Hmm. So the best way to make it relevant is to identify jobs off campus in corporations and businesses. You can't do that if you're in a small rural location. Yeah. You can do that. If you're 10 minutes from Dallas. If you're 10 minutes from downtown. And you have AT&T as a corporate headquarters. You got uh, a huge chase. You have the largest Bank of America Frito-Lay. region outside of the headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. There, that is the moment. That is where the Urban Work College model was born. See, and that is what Domani is bringing up. When we talk about where creativity exists, I love what you said. You don't have to be creative until you're denied something. That's right. And in Dallas, Paul Quinn as an institution being denied, I think, a chance, a fair chance to be Absolutely. considered an option Absolutely. was great. And then to go to a place where people didn't have necessarily the baggage of knowing about it, right? Like you could actually kind of hide in the ignorance. Uh, and you could introduce this concept to a kid in Chicago or to a kid in Cleveland or wherever, then you started to get a, a you started to surprise people around here with the types of kids that you were. No, that's that exactly you were right. Down. That's Absolutely. exactly right. I mean, 
Listen, until, there's an old African proverb that says, until the tiger, well, it's the lion, but we're tigers. So That's we, right. We yeah, jacked no, I get it. it. <coughs> it's so a tiger. Until the tiger tells his tale, the story of the hunt will always favor the hunter. That's right. right. So you have to tell your story. You have to be your own advocate. You cannot depend on other people to do that work for you. You have to do it first. Now they can join you, mm -hmm. but the story starts with you telling it. That's right. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. And on that note, as we kind of you know look at the the story of a, a school that was on the verge of, of of shuttering, being now a pride of an entire region, institution, and in fact, a country. Um, you being an integral part of that journey, I'm grateful that however tens of people said no to taking this job uh, when they were about to Why'd close. Why'd you have to make it tens? Why couldn't it have just been know, like two people said the, no? The Why you gotta make him like the 30th person the, on the, the list though? 37 or, or so people <laughs> who said I mean, nah. There's so much shade I right there. I can't do it. <laughs> the tens of people, what, what? what? You know, you, the captain of Loserville, <laughs> Mike. But that y'all found this marriage and have been able to do something amazing with it. Um, I, there are so many human lives at, that are benefiting from this for the next ge several generations, and that's the thing that I think we, we you can't you can't undersell. It's not just that you're working with this one young person; yeah. you are changing generational uh, outlooks demolishing um you know being feeling almost predestined to generational poverty and that's what we need to embrace more of when these public conversations right now with the presidential uh, election on the horizon and people talking about you know how we need to be thinking differently about you know free college and all this kind of stuff you actually are doing it right now yeah and that's the thing those are the ideas that we need to be lifting up and investing in yeah. And embracing the thoughtful process that you had to, you and your team, an amazing team here, went through in order to get to where we are today with Paul Quinn. It, it truly is tremendous. No, listen, the reality of it is I feel blessed um, because I was given an opportunity um, to become someone that, you know, you don't know you ever really get to become, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you want to live a life that, matters you want to leave places better than you find them you you want to know that your existence did something for someone else but you don't know you yeah. don't know it and there's no guarantee that happens for you and you know it is a blessing it is a blessing to do something you love on behalf of people you love and i've done enough things in my life where i know that doesn't always happen you know? And the cool thing is there there's so much more on the horizon. Yeah. We didn't even get to get into it because of time, but yeah, we're just, just warming up. We are. We are. So wait, so can we can we just put on the I'm I wanna claim a part two to this. Uh huh. I don't know no, why. Absolutely. I, I think we part, should because I'm just because yeah, there's there's, there's so lot. much. There's and then and, and, and we didn't even get into I, I think the the population would be fascinated with your perspective on family and how, you know, yeah, everybody's Dads are trying to be good dads, right? Husbands are trying to be good husbands, but but your um, your mental approach to the process is something that I think is worth going into at some point later on down the line. So Before so with that, that said, I, I do have a quick question. Go ahead. So this is not directly related because you are a fan of music. We started this whole thing talking about if you if we had a radio station. You you said um, that you sh people should have a great soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
one of my favorite movies is I'm gonna get you sucker. <laughs> For all the wrong reasons. Well, I was about to say I was like I was like For who, all the wrong it's, 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 all it's, the movies. It's, it's, it's an awful movie. Of it, all like, the it really movies. but it's the beginning of the Wayans Empire. It's 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 fair. But you know, there's the there's the scene right. where there's the soundtrack. It's entrepreneurship, it's, it's creativity. It really is. is. There's no so, doubt about it. Um get back here and I'm gonna hop after you with this one leg. Um so <laughs> what if you had a soundtrack following you, if you had a DJ following you, if you had a band following you, what are some artists and some songs that would be on that soundtrack? Three. So so my wife gives me a hard time because she says that I like I pay too much attention to the melody and to certain parts of the song. I don't listen to the totality of the song. Yeah. I you know, I don't care. Yeah. Um I feel like you're contextualizing right now. I am contextualizing. So, right. because there's one song that would have to be there is Donny Hathaway's A Song For You. Mm, um, yeah, because I mean, that yes. song captures the way that I look at my wife. That's, oh, right? that's good. Um, and she likes to point out that he's talking about when his life is over. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the life he lived. Yeah. Right. So, you know. Um, then, you know, I grew up with house music, so there'd have to be some. You know, house music. Yeah, of course. Um, Which is something that people, I don't think people would have expected. Well, I mean, you know, uh, Chicago born and raised. Fair. I was about that's to fair. say, I was that's like, fair. I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. Chicago born and raised. That's um, predictable. And then, uh, <laughs> and then what people really don't appreciate is just how rowdy I am, right? Um, because I'm one of those people, if you come for me, I will come for you. Right. Right. You can, so, can be a whole fool, <laughs> a whole one. Yeah, so when called upon, um, I'm not gonna give because this is a family show. I'm yeah. not gonna give you. Time out. I'm sorry. Who um, who led you to understand? Well, this my children a, might listen to it. Yeah, right? so, so that right. that's yeah. what makes yeah. it a family show, um, right there. But there, there's a there's a song out of the <laughs> the Master P family that uh-huh. you know. But we'll just we'll go with Annie up. Yeah, by Mob Deep. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, which I've turned my son on to. Yes. Oh, yes. that's good. Yes. I'm, 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 a, I'm a model music, parent. Right? Yeah, no, it's exactly. <laughs> you know, he gets in the car. My wife gets in the car, and yeah. he and I will play. When she's not in the car, is right. radically different. Right. So, you know, guy in the car is like, "Dad, can you play Annie up?" Yeah. And my wife is looking over at me like. What? What did you just say? That? I was like, it's, it's the relatively clean version. Yeah, right? like, it's the relatively, relatively clean. <laughs> it's only so clean you can get mob deep, right? So yeah, but yeah, mine is uh, my whole fool um, is um, Archie, little Archie. Okay. Oh um, uh, yeah. We ready. We ready. That's yeah, another that. one yeah, on my son's hype list. Exactly. Exactly. We ready. Exactly. And then again, one I'm not entirely proud of, but. Bone Crusher, you know, and so you know. I love that song. We ain't That's never scared though. Okay, you want to know? I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed this one. Okay, go ahead. Level up by Sierra. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. I, know. That, I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't, I, I didn't I was, see that. One. I, I know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't I know. See that I, did, I don't know why. But, but when that song comes on, I'm like, you're like, yes. yeah. And honestly, it's my wife's fault. Chest pump. It's my wife's fault because yeah, let's because blame Heather. It's, it is because one time she's she, sitting right here. She is. She is. Yeah. One time she was talking about how. Um, I was getting frustrated that I was having to work with people who yep. didn't get the vision for what we were trying to build. I'm with it. And uh, uh, and she said, well, she said, well, you got to remember, sometimes people aren't. aren't <laughs> He knocked, he knocked the microphone off. He's so leveled up right now. He's tearing up the equipment. He right? broke all of the things. 
That's a lot of money, Damani. Relax. We ain't even played it yet. Ooh, that was good. That was good. But hey, if, if, right. if we had a broken character, I was just gonna hold that. I yeah. was gonna hold that mic stand. Yeah. But she said, you know, sometimes you got you got to realize that people aren't on your level, and they have to have to level up to where you are. You got to move on. Yeah. And I was like, that's so true. Dope. So it's her fault. Okay. I mean, listen, man. You know, however you got there, brother. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's a segment of our time together when we hit you with some quick hits, some popcorn, hot fire, and then you got to hit us with the first answer that comes to your mind. We, we call it. this. Quickly creative. Fire away. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. Bill Gates or Elon Musk? Ooh, Gates. Who's your favorite MC? Tupac. Least favorite food? Grits. I'm going to hit you with a double right here. Best accomplishment and then best failure. Uh, best accomplishment is my family. Uh, best failure, trying to make Paul Quinn a regular college. Boom. Razors or clippers? Ooh. <laughs> Razors on my head, clippers <laughs> on my face. There you go. All right, all right. Who's your spirit animal? Oh, panther. Okay. Chicago winter or Dallas summer? Ooh. Ooh. You know what? Chicago winter, because I love Chicago. There you go. And then we're going to hit this one uh, in honor of Black History Month as we come to the close of February. I have a dream or letter from Birmingham jail? Letter from Birmingham Jail. Same here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. This has been Quickly Creative. And y'all, let's give it up for Michael Sorrell, Dr. Holler, Michael Sorrell. Doc, doc. Thank you, brother. Paul Quinn College. Man, we genuinely appreciate this time. Uh, I appreciate you. Seriously. And listen, let me just say, one, so much respect for what you all are doing. I think it's amazing. I think our voices aren't heard enough in this medium. So I think it's fantastic you are doing it. Please know whatever you need me to do to support it, I am here for you. Don't. I appreciate right. that fire. I appreciate you. All right, this is Byron Sanders of Big Thought. This is Damani Daniel of the Event Nerd. And this is Casually Creative. Stay dope. Stay dope. Casually Creative was produced by Heather Daniel of SweetRebel.com. Its intro and outro music were composed by Ezekiel Daniel and produced by Marcus Reddick and Dean Talbert. Feel free to check us out online at www.casuallycreative.co. Everyone living is a type of creative. Everyone's got a limit they can some people call them for some people is If you can see it in your mind, you can make it.